Well, good. Yes, it's still morning. Good morning, Jubilee. It's so lovely to be seen by you this morning. Today, I get to follow on from uh, Becky's amazing talk last week, Broken Cities, Broken Walls, or Broken Walls, Broken Cities. And I'm going to talk today about working against opposition on this grand tour that we're doing through Ezra and Nehemiah. And we've just reached chapters 4 to 6 of Nehemiah, where Nehemiah finds out that not everybody is excited about the rebuilding of Jerusalem as he is, and he begins to face some significant opposition, which then goes on throughout the whole of the project, which is no surprise, really, is it? I mean, how many of us have faced opposition as we've stepped out to do something? You know, when we've tried to make a difference, and you, and you think, what? Where did that come from? Don't people see what I'm trying to do here? And for many, opposition is just part of life, and the only way to escape it is to creep around and try not to do anything significant or rock the boat in any way. But that's not an option for most of us, and sometimes it gets quite intense. And you think, why do we even bother? This certainly must have been the case for Nehemiah, who faces opposition from the moment his feet touch the ground in Jerusalem, and it doesn't let up until he finishes what he started. The whole project is opposed, so that he's constantly working against opposition. So how does he do this, and how does he keep going? That's what I want to look at today in this broad sweep over chapters 4 to 6. But first, I need to take you back to chapter 2 to show you Nehemiah's opposition, which is largely political and economic. So let me just set this out for you, Nehemiah's opposition. As Becky showed us last week, Nehemiah was a secular leader. He loved God, he loved his people, and he was working directly for the king. And he was given this royal commission to go to Jerusalem to get this derelict city back up and running and all that that entails. And first, the first thing that Nehemiah does is to arrange a meeting with these three men who are the governors of the surrounding region. You've got Samballat, the governor of Samaria, who will be directly affected by this new city being set up uh, on his doorstep. And then you've got Tobiah of the Ammonites and Geshem, who's from a bit further north. But And he probably had more of an economic interest. Perhaps he was the governor for trade for the region. And the long and short of it is that the meeting doesn't go well. Because his plan to resurrect Jerusalem threatens their political and economic interests in the region. And the letter from the king is the only thing that guarantees Nehemiah's personal safety. They can't touch him. And and they're really disturbed by this, that somebody had come, as it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, somebody had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. This new city and its powerful governor, Nehemiah, was going to set up in direct competition with them. And they immediately launch a political attack on Nehemiah, accusing him of rebelling against the king in verse 19 there, which is an intimidating accusation. 
But Nehemiah responds in a similar political way and say, you've got no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. That's there in verse 20, denouncing both their political and economic claims to the city and reaffirming his own. And Nehemiah, perhaps quite understandably, then finds himself in a series of political power struggles with these men who threaten his motives, his ability to do the job, his integrity, and even his life. But this is all politics and money that's at the root of it. Nehemiah, on the other hand, sees that his fellow Jews have been used, abused, and extorted by these men, and is rebuilding a wall, in effect, to keep them out and to allow Jerusalem to regain its political, legal, religious, and financial independence in the region. A bit like Brexit and Europe, I suppose, depending on your point of view. So, nothing much has changed with the world. It's still all politics and economics, which are the main reasons for the broken walls and the broken cities that exist in our society today. And it was what was behind uh, Nehemiah's maelstrom of continual opposition, but it's how he handled the opposition and refused to be distracted from the work that God had given him that attracted God's favor. So let's look at that now. Let's look at handling opposition. And honestly, we could spend several weeks looking at these chapters, but we haven't got several weeks. I'm going to do it all in one day. So I'm just going to pick out for you four principles that really stood out for me and that can help us in our own times of opposition. So firstly, we see Nehemiah's prayers backed by integrity. Second, we see his faith led to action. And thirdly, we see him bringing the people together. And fourthly, we see that he overcomes ultimately by hard work and fearless truth. All of which together lead to the completion of the wall in only 56 days, which it appears is a bit of a record, uh, uh, despite all of the discouragement uh, and, and all of the opposition, it leads to the, def- the defeat of those that oppose him. So I'm going to read you a few chapters, a few verses, I should say, from these chapters. And this particularly, this first bit, will give you a flavor of the opposition he endured. It's in, ver- in chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, if you want to follow along. Here it is, that when Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? And Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their walls of stone. So you can see the mockery, you can see the intimidation, uh, you can see the discouragement there. So how did Nehemiah respond to this? Well, the first thing we see is this prayer backed by integrity. And here's Nehemiah's prayer in verse 4. It says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their in 
insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they've thrown insults in the face of the builders. That's verse 4. So the first thing we see is he responds in prayer. He takes these insults, which are like arrows that have pierced his heart, and he says, God, listen to what they're saying. They're insulting us. God, you deal with it. He refused to allow the arrows to lodge in his heart, and instead he handed them over to God and sent them back where they came from. How about a prayer like that for your situation? You know, so confident was he in the job he'd been given that he refused to allow himself the luxury of feeling sorry for himself or nursing his wounds. He says, no, I'm sending that on to God to deal with. I'm not even going to touch it, and I'm sending it back where it came from. And that's a good strategy. I mean, how much time do we spend wasting time nursing our own uh, wounds and the words that people say to distract us from what God has told us to do. But the reason that Nehemiah could pray like this so confidently was because he knew he'd done nothing wrong. He knew that he was clean of their accusations. He stood on his own integrity, recognizing instead the sin and the guilt of those who opposed him. He saw in their words and their actions the evidence of their own greed and dishonesty. He sent the words back. They didn't even touch him. And in the end, you know, your integrity will do more for you in standing in the face of opposition than all the arguing and fighting you can do. Knowing that you're right despite the opposition, has more power. That truth encounter has more power than you will ever know. In times of opposition, handle the insults in prayer. Send them back. Hand them on to God. But stand firm knowing that you're righteous, knowing that you're right in God's sight, and don't allow them to touch your heart. And secondly, faith, Nehemiah's faith led to action. You know, he did a really great job as a secular leader of combining his faith with action. And this is important because many of us feel that all I have to do is pray about a problem and that's it. But we don't just need to pray about a problem. Sometimes we need to take action too. We need to do something about it. There's some action that needs to be taken. So we see here here in Nehemiah 4, 7-9, that when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls, Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were angry and they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble. But it says of Nehemiah, said, but we prayed to our God and then we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I love that. I love the fact that he prayed and then posted a guard. (laughs) Both faith and action in the face of opposition. So it may mean for you, yes, you pray, but you also lodge that formal complaint with HR. (laughs) It means you pray, but you also respond to that email. It means you pray and then you take steps to pay off your debt. Faith mixed with action doesn't undermine faith, it demonstrates it. It demonstrates that the answer is already in your hand. 
I love it when, when James says, he says, I will show you my faith by my deeds, doesn't he? He says that in James 2.18, I'll show you my faith by what I do, how I respond and how I act. In other words, if you want to see my faith, watch what I do. And we see Nehemiah doing this again in verses 13 and 14 where he prays again and then he organizes, encourages and equips the people with weapons to protect themselves. He prays and then he gives them weapons. You see, enduring opposition isn't about us being passive doormats taking whatever may come, but it's about taking prayerful action so that we can keep going even in the face of opposition. So pray, and pray some more, but also think about the action that you need to take. What action do you need to take that that goes in the direction of your prayers? How does your faith work out? Pray about that too. Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm going to pray, but what do you want me to do about this? And thirdly, we see Nehemiah bringing the people together. As the opposition and the threats continued, Nehemiah needed to take further steps to protect the people and keep them working. He brought them together and then gave them different jobs to do to keep everybody safe. So we see this in Nehemiah 4, 16 and 17. It says this, that from that day on, Half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held the weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. I just love to spend ages unpacking uh, these few verses and applying it to church life because actually I see a great illustration in this passage for the church because we're no longer on our own in times of opposition. That's the picture. We're not on our own. I see that that uh, I see those that are working supported by those that are praying. We're not all doing the same job. We're not all on the front line. Some of us are behind the lines, supporting those who are on the front lines. I see those who are being opposed, being encouraged by those standing behind them. I see the role of the prophetic in the man with the trumpet who calls the rest of us to hear and see and pray. This is a picture for us, coming together and getting behind one another in times of hardship and difficulty. It's about finding our strength for the work from our brothers and sisters who stand behind us and cheer us on. And there are those even amongst us who are prepared to carry things for us as we struggle and say, I'm worried about this. Will you help me to carry this? People who fight for us in the unseen realms as we go out again and, and again and work on another bit of the broken wall. You know, over the past few months, I've had the incredible privilege of standing with teachers who are struggling at school and just encouraging them, just praying for them, just prophesying over them. A doctor who's overwhelmed in his surgery and and a, a hospital consultant who is in danger of burnout and terrified by some of the things that he was seeing. People in business who have no idea what's coming next. 
people that are going into places that I can't go. But I can go in with them and stand behind them in the spirit. And together, the walls get built and another gap is filled. Can you see the picture? That's part of our job. Bringing people together. Because we can do more together than when we're on our own. So do you need to reach out and encourage somebody right now that you see struggling, perhaps as a teacher or a nurse or somebody on the front line at the moment, do you need, or maybe you're on the other side and say, I actually need somebody to stand with me. I need somebody to help me at the moment and protect my back, carry some things for me. It's a great picture of how we can stand together as church in times like these. And finally, we see Nehemiah working against opposition with hard work and fearless truth. And there's no doubt about it, the people worked very hard to get everything done. Over these few chapters, we're told that the people worked with all of their heart in Nehemiah 4.6, and that they worked from the first light of dawn until the stars came out in Nehemiah 4.21. That's some long days, eh? See, just because God has called us, sent us, and his hand is upon us, and we've prayed about it, doesn't mean that we won't still have to work hard to advance God's kingdom and get some broken walls built and some gaps filled. And guys, we should never be criticized as Christians for not working hard enough and then have the cheek to call that opposition when we're criticized. Nehemiah worked very hard and with hardly enough time to sleep or eat, but then he gets the opportunity to confront his opposers and speak some truth to them. And uh, I love this bit. This is one of my favorite bits of the book. It was just before the gates had been erected uh, uh, when, when a message came to him in chapter 6. These three governors decided to call uh, Nehemiah down to a meeting. But Nehemiah had information that there was a plan to take him out so that the job wouldn't be finished. And I just love how he speaks to them like this and replies to their invitation. So it's in Nehemiah 6, verses 3 and 4. He says, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. He says, I'm carrying on a great work and I can't go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? But they persisted. Four times they sent me the same message. Each time I gave them the same answer. Don't waste my time. You know, I'm about a great work and I'm not going to stop it. Four times trying to wear him down. And then they write an open letter to try and ruin his reputation, accusing him of an uprising and a political campaign to overthrow the king. And again, Nehemiah responds. He says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're making it up in your head. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed and I said, now, Lord, strengthen my hands. See, Nehemiah defeats their arguments with truth and he refuses to be distracted and stop the work, wasting his time arguing with these men. Rather, he says, God, strengthen my hands so I can keep going. Distraction and intimidation are some of the key weapons in our enemy's armory to take us off course and beat us up in a dark alley. Don't be fooled. 
And actually, this is one of the passages that I come back to time and time again in times of opposition. And I pray it back like this. I say, I'll say it out loud and say, nothing like what you're doing, that you're saying is happening, enemy. You're just making it up all out of your head. You're just trying to frighten me so that my hands get weak, too weak for the work to be completed. Satan, I rebuke you. Now get out of my way. I'm not going to waste my time with you. So Lord, will you now strengthen my hands? Perhaps you need to do that today. Perhaps you need to take those verses and turn it back and write your own letter and say, now, Lord, strengthen my hands because I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep doing what God has called me to do. That's how we keep um, moving forward in times of opposition. Now, Lord, strengthen my hands. And this is the final bit of the battle for Nehemiah. And the walls completed and all those who opposed him finally gave up. In Nehemiah 6, 15 and 16, it says, The wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And that's without any kind of machinery. So when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. The thing is that we need to just note here that during this whole project, the opposition had never stopped. It never diminished. It continued. It even got a little bit worse. But Nehemiah continued to work against opposition to get the job done in record time. And this isn't just a triumph of organization and leadership, but a triumph of character and a godly man who refused to allow the opposition to hinder his progress. And I just want to finish today with a challenge for you. Because, you know, I don't know what it is that you're going through right now. I've heard some things that people are going through. But I don't know what's around the corner for all of us at the moment. But get this. We all face opposition. We are all living in a time of opposition. Opposition, actually, though, is, is a normal part of what it means to be a Christian. You say, hold on, I didn't sign up for this. Where was that on the Alpha course? But darkness always reacts to light. And if the light stays burning bright, it will always overcome the darkness. And you'd think this is obvious, but for so many Christians, opposition comes as a shock. They're even disillusioned by it. So like, I prayed my prayers, I've read my Bible, I've even paid my tithe. Why is this happening to me? You know, I've lost count of the number of people over the years who bailed out because something they started got too difficult and their theology has no tick box for hard times and opposition. Over the years, I've come to take a perverse kind of encouragement in opposition to say, hmm, I've hit on something there and I've got a bit of a reaction. I must be doing something right. But it's like some Christians have never heard what Jesus said when he said, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) Or they've never read Peter, who tells us about an enemy who goes around like a roaring lion trying to devour people. Or Paul, who tells us that we're in a war, not against people, but against principalities and powers who are determined to oppose us. And so what I'm trying to say to you, Jubilee, is that opposition should not surprise us 
It should not surprise us. And I'm not saying it should delight us, but it certainly shouldn't stop us. And we will need to learn to live and work through it, working against it to advance the kingdom of God, to repair the broken down walls of our cities and towns. I love what Becky said last week, that we all have a part to play in rebuilding the broken walls of our cities, whether that's socially, emotionally, economically, environmentally, I I would add politically too. God still employs his people in bringing heaven's solutions to to the earth's problems. So have you ever wondered why God put you in that school for this time? That local council, that business, that hospital, that street, that city, that town. You're there as part of the rebuilding of the walls in that city, in that place. Ever wondered why it seems so hard to be there, why you're facing such opposition? Well, it probably means you're doing something right, but you're not on your own. We can pray for you and we can encourage you. Just as I was uh, preparing this talk, I just felt that there were a number of different situations that God wanted to speak into at the moment. And this is a time where I just wish you were here with me because I would just love to call people to the front of the moment so we can literally stand around you physically, put our hands on you, put our arms around you. But we can't do that. But maybe we can do it in another way. Uh, right on, on the screen now is my email address and Simon's. So you can, you can choose who you prefer. <laughs> but we would love to hear from you so we can set up. Simon's not happy with me saying that. In fact, send all of the questions to Simon. That would be great. But we, we would just think it'd be great to just have a Zoom call set up after the meeting today. So if you want to email one or other of us, we will send you a Zoom link because we want to pray for you. We want to stand with you or we can arrange for some other people to stand with you at the moment. Because some, here, here's, here's some of the things I was feeling that some have been paralyzed by opposition. And the fear of what others might do or say. I feel like God wants to just unlock some paralysis. He wants to bring some freedom right now from the fear of opposition. And some of you, you're on the verge of giving up right now. You've even been thinking, that's it, I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm going to resign on Monday. You're on the verge of giving up. But you just need some people to come and stand with you right now. It's not time to give up yet. The night is not quite over, but the dawn is about to come. There's somebody in particular that I feel that is for, and you know who you are because you can feel God's presence come on you as I say that. It's not time yet to throw in the towel. And some people are just battle-weary at the moment and just need some encouragement. I'd just love to get some prophetic people to stand with you. Uh, and just to prophesy over you, words of encouragement at the moment. That's what the prophetic is about. It's about coming from a place of encouragement, strengthening one another and comforting one another. And for others, it's just you have prayed. You've been praying. You've been saying, Lord, I'm, I'm in this battle. I'm in opposition. But now it's time to act. You know, some of you, I, I don't know if you noticed the, the picture I put up on that particular step. It's a picture of a letter being written. 
And I just feel like there's a there's somebody in particular. You need to write that email now. It's time. It's time to write that email. And hey, if you need somebody else to read it, sometimes it helps. You know, get it out, get it what you're feeling out on the email, and then sometimes it's good to leave it overnight and then read it in the morning. And other times it's just great to get somebody to read it with you. They've got your back in that way. So yeah, it doesn't come over quite right. Or yeah, I think that's a good email. But I think there's somebody. You need to write that email now. You need to write that email to your family member or, or whoever it is. So email us. We would love to just uh, Zoom you a link and just stand with you and pray with you at this time. But that that's the talk. I just want to pray for you now. Let's just pray for Jubilee, wherever you are. Can you just lift your hands with me? And let's just pray for one another. Holy Spirit, will you just come on everybody who is watching this video? Father, will you just bring your peace right now? Let your kingdom come. Because actually, Father, rebuilding cities is about bringing your kingdom wherever we go. Now, let your kingdom come. I just pray that any fear and intimidation would just just go in Jesus' name. I pray that peace and encouragement would come. Father, I pray that you would motivate people amongst us to, to reach out and support other people. And I pray for others who would just say, I need some help, Lord. I just pray for the boldness to do that. And Father, I pray for heaven's strategies in multiple circumstances right now. Father, so that we can keep building despite the opposition. And Father, I just pray you'd help us because we do struggle when things are difficult, Lord. But you said that you'll never leave us. And in fact, Lord, your presence will often come closest to us in times of difficulty. Now, Lord, let your presence come. Let your presence come. Let peace come. And and, and, and for the person that's feeling right now, I, I don't want to go to work on Monday. That churning feeling in, in your stomach, I speak peace to you in Jesus' name. Peace that the world cannot know. You are a peace bringer and you are a peace carrier in Jesus' name for his kingdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your wisdom. You said if we ever lack wisdom, we can ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Lord, give us your wisdom. Show us your strategy in every situation we face. In Jesus' name and for your glory, let your kingdom come and let your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen.